I'm going to read to you this morning from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20. If you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so in your Bibles or up on the screen behind me. So John's Gospel, chapter 20. I'm going to read through from verse 24 through to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Gracious God, this morning, as we come to the scriptures again, that reminds us afresh of the resurrected Christ. May we know for certainty in our hearts today that Jesus is indeed alive. And in knowing that, may that cause us to exclaim, my Lord and my God. And may it lead us, Lord, to want to serve you and live for you in every aspect of our lives. Amen. Those words that this passage commences with says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, Thomas, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, named in the Gospels as those particular 12 that Jesus had called specifically to uh, journey with him through the three, three and a half years or so of Jesus's public ministry on earth. Those 12 people that Jesus invested so much of his time and effort and energy in, those 12 who specifically had that, that, in a, that, uh, that most intimate relationship with Jesus in his time here on the face of this earth during his public ministry, Thomas was one of these people. Thomas had witnessed all of the various miracles of Jesus throughout his public ministry. He had himself been taught by Jesus all the commands that Jesus wanted his disciples to, uh, to then go and proclaim in the world. Thomas had been a recipient of all those things. He had, had, had touched Jesus. He had seen Jesus. He'd walked with Jesus. And yet, 
even knowing that Jesus having, Jesus, Jesus having said to his disciples that, uh, that the Son of Man had to be betrayed, he would be handed over to the Jewish authorities, he'd be put to death, but that on the third day he would rise again. Even knowing that, we find that, uh, that Thomas has trouble believing. And of course, if you're familiar with the fact that over the centuries, Thomas has been referred to as Doubting Thomas. What a, uh, what a wonderful moniker to go through life with, the doubter, to be known, you know, to have that as your claim to fame. Here in this passage, we see Thomas as probably at one of the lowest points in his life with Jesus, in his spiritual journey with Jesus. Now, I think as we read through this passage, as we look at Thomas, knowing that he's been labelled Thomas the Doubter, I think actually that Thomas has been pretty unfairly labelled because he wasn't the only one who had doubts when it came to Jesus and his resurrection. If you actually go into Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, you'll read these words. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, these things referring to their encounter with the risen Jesus. They'd gone, they, they, they had encountered Jesus, they'd seen that Jesus had risen from the dead and they'd gone back to tell the other disciples, to, to tell the apostles this wonderful news that Jesus was alive. But in response to, the, to, these, to their news, we read, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. So Thomas wasn't on his own in his unbelief or his scepticism. If you go back a little bit in chapter 20 to verse 19, you'll find that in those early hours after Jesus rose from the dead and began to appear to various people, and after they sort of started to report this wonderful news about seeing the risen Jesus, there, was, there were these, who, there was these guys, these followers of Jesus who just would not believe until they actually met Jesus for themselves, until they saw Jesus in the, in the flesh, so to speak, in his resurrected body. Verses 19 and 20, we see or we read about that particular encounter. It says, On the evening of that day, the day when Jesus rose from the dead, the first day of the week, the doors again being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. These Disciples of Jesus who themselves were sceptic, Jesus came and appeared to them in this wonderful and amazing way. Here they were locked in this room for fear of the Jews, we're told. That they were thought, you know, that if Jesus had been killed, then surely it would be his followers who they'd come after next in order to kill them as well. So here they were cowering in this particular place, in this particular building with the doors locked. And Jesus came and appeared among them. How did Jesus do that? Well, even in his resurrected body, he was able to have this incredible ability to now walk through walls. And yet, it was a body that was still able to be touched, was still able to be held. And in fact, later on, we'll read in the Gospels that Jesus was able to eat. So it's a, you know, it's, it's, we see Jesus in, a, in, in not just a ghostly form, but a real form, 
but yet a form that has got this, this ability to even walk through walls. Jesus confronted his disciples in that place and said, peace be with you. But as we come to our passage this morning, we're told that Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And it begs the question, well, why wasn't Thomas there? Well, the passage doesn't tell us. We can only sort of, you know, use a bit of conjecture at this particular point. But, you know, you've got to wonder, you know, why Thomas wasn't there. Was it because he himself was so afraid that he didn't even want to associate with the disciples for fear that he might be caught with them? And so he was, you know, he, he himself was over on his own, cowering in fear on his own. Was it because Thomas perhaps was just so incredibly uh, just overcome with, with, with grief that he was so disillusioned by Jesus' death that he had given up any hope and didn't see the point in being part of the group anymore, being part of Jesus' disciples? Perhaps a bit like those disciples on the road to Emmaus we read about in Luke 24 who themselves seemed a bit disillusioned. Whatever the reason... We, 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 you know, we can sort of conjecture in our own minds, but whatever the reason, we just know that Thomas was not there. And Thomas, because he was not there, he missed out on all that took place. He missed out. And as we read that, we cannot help but be, com- be, be confronted with the fact that, that as H.B. Charles, one of our, a really uh, wonderful uh, American preacher, puts it, he says that the weeds of doubt grow fast and strong in the soil of isolation. In other words, you know, with Thomas away from the others, it just gave more and more of an environment for his fear and for his doubt to continue to grow. And for us as followers of Jesus, if we tend to isolate ourselves from other believers, if we tend to isolate ourselves from you know, the, uh, the community of God's, of God's people, then our faith too can struggle. It too, our doubts can, can, can overwhelm us and start to, uh, to uh, you know, drag us down and we can become more and more disillusioned with living the Christian faith. But of course, our faith is nurtured and strengthened through that fellowship with Christ, but also with Christ's people. And that's why it's so important, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, not to give up meeting together, but to regularly meet together for the purpose of encouraging one another and stirring one another up in our faith and towards love and good deeds. When we don't meet regularly with God's people, there is much that we can miss out on, much that can strengthen us in our faith and encourage us in that. And even though Thomas was absent, the other disciples, we see, sought him out to tell him the good news. We see that in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him with our own eyes. Thomas, it's real. He is alive. The structure of this sentence in the original language points to the fact that they didn't just tell Thomas once, but they repeatedly told him that they had seen the Lord. They couldn't get over the fact that Jesus indeed was alive and they were so excited by that and they needed to continually tell Thomas that he would believe with them as well. But Thomas refuses to believe their testimony. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, Thomas says. 
Why was Thomas so stubborn to believe the testimony of these other disciples, these men who he'd known for so many years, who he'd learned to trust and, and he'd shared his life with? Why was it that he could not believe their testimony? Was it because Thomas just could not get his head around the fact of the resurrection? It sounded beyond belief. Yes, Jesus may have raised Lazarus back to life, but who was going to raise Jesus? You know, for many people today, the resurrection just doesn't make sense. It sounds to many people like a fairy tale, like some kind of myth. Yet there are countless people whose lives have been dramatically transformed because of the fact that they themselves have encountered the risen Jesus. We see it in the lives of the disciples, that here was these, these guys who, you know, in this particular passage, we see them cowering in fear in that place, afraid of those around about them and what they might do to them. But later on, we'll see that these guys will stand up in front of crowds of people in Jerusalem and preach about Jesus. And proclaim that he is indeed the Christ, the the risen Saviour. And that they will not only preach that, but but many of them will themselves go to a death, a martyr's death, because of the fact that they were convinced that Jesus was alive. Throughout history... There have been many, many people who themselves have encountered the risen Jesus, not, but not in that, 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 uh, you know, that, that face-to-face encounter, but, but with an encounter through, you know, through the, the word of God and through Jesus, actually through his Holy Spirit, convincing people in their hearts that he is indeed alive, the, the change that Jesus has been able to bring about in their lives. And people who have, who have encountered Jesus in this way, who have then gone on to live their lives and been radically changed and transformed in their lives by Jesus. And you've got to ask yourself, what other explanation is there for people who would gladly lay down their lives in order to follow Jesus and that they are convinced in their hearts that he is indeed real? Now, as we come to this passage, one of the, one of the things that struck me is that there's, there, there's a great tension in this passage. I don't know whether you sort of see that or not, because the, the Bible tells us, you know, in Matthew 4, 7, that we should not put the Lord God to the test. You know, when Jesus was, uh, was tempted there in the wilderness, when he, was, uh, when he began his public ministry, he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he fasted and he prayed, and the devil came and tempted him. And it was through that temptation that you know, Jesus said to the devil, we know you should not put the Lord God to the test. In other words, our confidence and our trust should be in God because God is God and we are not. And yet in this passage we see that Thomas is incredibly demanding of God, isn't he? Incredibly demanding of God. In fact, there's almost an arrogance about him. He says, unless I see in his hands, unless I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. In other words, Thomas is kind of laying down almost kind of like the prerequisites, his prerequisites of what it will take for him to believe in the risen Jesus Christ. Thomas is demanding. And yet we see in this passage, in his grace and in his mercy, Jesus himself actually condescends. He submits to Thomas's demands. In other words, he chose to submit himself in order to prove himself to Thomas. 
And you've got to ask, what sort of a God does that? What sort of a God condescends, comes down, submits himself, humbles himself in order to reach those whom he wants to convince? Well, I tell you, the kind of God who does that is the God who loves us. That's the God who he is. Because it is this same God who chose to leave the glories of heaven and take on our own humanity in order to redeem us from sin and death by dying in our place and to reconcile us to himself. You know, it's absolutely amazing to me in this particular passage, and I hope it's amazing to you too, that Jesus would choose to meet Thomas where he was at. As one commentator states, Jesus could have chosen to leave Thomas languishing in his own doubts and his unbelief. Because at this point, the facts of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection were certainly established well enough that the witness of the other disciples should have been sufficient enough for Thomas to believe. But yet Jesus loved Thomas so much that he met him in his doubts. And that is the loving disposition of Jesus towards all those who struggle with fear and doubt. Matthew 12, 20 reminds us about the character of Jesus where it says, A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In other words, you know, those whose, whose faith is, is the weakest, the frailest, those whose faith is perhaps right on that last verge of being snuffed out. Jesus will not break that reed. He will not snuff out that that smouldering wick. But instead, if we trust in him, he will come and help fan that into flame. You know, Thomas, in this passage, he was a sincere doubter. He wanted to know the truth. You know, this particular passage of Thomas we, you know, is not the only time that we encounter Thomas in the Gospel of John. There are two other occasions as well. Back in, in, uh, in John chapter 11, you know, Jesus is saying to his disciples that you know, we need to go to Jerusalem and the disciples know that that is a dangerous thing to do. They know that if, we go, if they go back to Jerusalem, then Jesus is actually going to be arrested and he's going to be killed. And they themselves know that as his followers, that's their, that will be their fate as well. And Thomas urges the disciples, he says, but okay, let's go with him even though it will cost us our lives, even though we'll die. Thomas was such a loyal, and follow, such a loyal follower of Jesus. He may have been a pessimist, but he was certainly, and a skeptic, but he, was certainly, he certainly loved Jesus and he trusted Jesus. But Thomas was not someone who would just go along blindly by faith. He also wanted desperately to know the truth. He, needed, he, he had this desire to know the truth. We see that in John 14, where Jesus says to his disciples just before his arrest that you know, he's going away to prepare a place for them. And he says to his disciples, you know, you know the place to where I'm going. And Thomas pipes up and says, Lord, we don't know. We don't know how to get there. Show us the way. And Jesus says to to Thomas and all the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
In that, in that we see Thomas has got this deep desire to want to know the truth, but he wants, he wants that kind of that, that tangible proof, if you like. And he's, this is how we find Thomas here in this passage. He was a sincere doubter. He wanted to know the truth. And for all those with sincere doubts, all those wanting to know the truth, if we come to Jesus and ask him to lead us and guide us into that truth, Jesus will indeed do that. But yet there are so many today who doubt and refuse to believe because they indeed have no desire to know the truth, but would rather live in ignorance. This passage says that Jesus does not want, to, want us to remain in our doubts. And he allows himself to submit to Thomas's personal examination. He invites Thomas to see the nail prints in his hand and to touch them and put his hand in his side. We see that in, uh, in verse 20, 20, uh, 26. Hang on, I put my glasses on so I can see what I'm reading here. Verse 26, where it says, Eight days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And again, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And having done that, it says, He then said to Thomas, Jesus addresses Thomas straight away. And isn't it interesting that Jesus says to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. How did Jesus know that that was Thomas's prerequisite for belief? Who told Jesus that? No one. Because Jesus is God, Jesus knew. And he invites he gives Thomas this open invitation. Thomas, if that's what will take for you to believe, then here I am. I submit myself to your examination. Jesus presented clear evidence to Thomas that he had indeed risen from the dead and that Thomas should stop unbelieving and believe. And folks, these are the only two choices that Jesus presents us with. We either believe that Jesus died and rose again or we do not believe. There's no sitting on the fence because Jesus himself doesn't give us that option. And in fact, if we are not growing in faith, then we are inevitably growing in doubt and unbelief and Jesus says that that will ultimately lead to an eternity apart from him, which the Bible reveals to be this unending existence of suffering and torment. Jesus says, Thomas, here I am. Put your finger here. Put your hand here in my side. That, that The hand that was pierced by the nails on that cross, the side that was pierced by that spear. And what is Thomas's response? It doesn't say that he needed to do, to, to do that, to put his fingers in, his, in, in the nail prints, to put his hand in his side, but instead Thomas declares... My Lord and my God. That was enough to see the risen Jesus. My Lord and my God. Thomas's confession reveals two essential truths about Jesus. First of all, he is Lord. In other words, he alone is sovereign over all things. He alone has authority over all things, that he is indeed ruler over everything and everyone. That is what that term Lord actually portrays. Thomas is saying, this is who you are, Jesus. You are indeed Lord. And you are the one who I should submit to, not the other way around. But that Jesus is also God. 
For only God has the power over life and death. Listen to what Romans 1, 1 to 4 says. The Apostle Paul writing, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, that is the message of Jesus Christ, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, but was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is saying here that the resurrection screams to us. It points us to the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. He has been declared the Son of God in power because of his resurrection from the dead. And Thomas exclaims, my Lord and my God. Thomas's confession there is his own personal witness, his own personal testimony that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And he's now completely convinced that Jesus is God and the one to whom he needs to submit to and follow unreservedly. And it's interesting that uh, Thomas, we often hear the fact that he was, you know, he's referred to as the doubter and that sort of thing. But one of the things we don't know too well is the fact that Thomas would, would then go and take the gospel to India. Christian tradition, Christian historic tradition tells us that Thomas would take that message of the gospel to India and it would be there which Thomas would give his life in the service of Jesus. Now, if Thomas wasn't convinced, if he wasn't convinced that Jesus is Lord, why on earth would he do that in the first place? You know, Thomas and the other disciples here, they were privileged to have had these wonderful personal experiences of the resurrected Jesus that established them in their faith and pointed to the fact that he was indeed their resurrected saviour. They were indeed special and extraordinary appearances by Jesus to his disciples. But the writer of this gospel goes on to say that we ourselves have been given ample evidence in order to make the same confession that Thomas does. Look at verses 30 and 31 of, our, of, of John's, John 20 this morning. After having you know, relayed this incident about Thomas and Thomas's declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, John the Apostle writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these things, these things that are recorded here in the Gospel are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him as Christ and Son of God, you may also have life in his name. See, the basis of our saving faith is not necessarily that, that uh, personal encounter with Jesus, but the fact that we encounter Jesus, not in that one-to-one -one kind of you know, being able to tangibly touch him, but within, we encounter Jesus in the written word of God. Look, listen again to the, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 13 to 17. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who says that Jesus is indeed Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But then Paul finishes, but faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What Paul is saying there is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who, who understands that Jesus is indeed Lord, the Son of God, the risen, resurrected Saviour, they themselves will indeed be saved. But for them to be able to do that, they first need to hear that message. And how are they to hear and believe that message? That message comes from hearing, and that hearing comes through the word of Christ, the word of God. We have ample evidence today to show us the fact that Jesus is indeed who he said he was. He is the risen Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Jesus ends this particular encounter with Thomas with a blessing. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In these words, we're pointed to the fact that as Jesus has this encounter with Thomas, he was also thinking about all who would actually believe after Thomas, you and me. As I said, Jesus has given us all the evidence that we need that he is the risen saviour. He is the Lord and God over all who came to die for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. But even in our lives, there will be times where we will struggle with doubt. And when it comes to us struggling with doubt, it is those times where we need to turn to Jesus. You know, often the root of our doubts may lie in the fact that, you know, something happens in our lives, something breaks into our world that, that, that perhaps seemingly contradicts that which we have known and have previously believed about God and about Jesus. You know, for Thomas, the events of Jesus' crucifixion and death, that were, they'd seem to be the catalyst that, that brought about these doubts in Thomas's mind. But for us, it can be other things. It can be the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one. It can be the loss of our health. It can, in fact, be anything that we struggle with, that, 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 we, that we struggle to reconcile with God and what we know about God and what we've believed about God. But in these verses, we can take heart because we know that our God knows our experiences just as he knew Thomas's experience. God knows our experiences and does not dismiss our doubts. Sincere doubt can in fact be a means by which God uses to actually strengthen our faith. For Thomas, there were grounds for faith all around him. He was surrounded by all his fellow fellow believers who had themselves witnessed the risen Jesus Christ. He just, Thomas just needed to have ears and eyes to see and hear. You know, God has not left us in the dark either without proof. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul had these words to say. He said, The times of ignorance God overlooked. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere to repent because he, that is God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this he has given us assurance to all by raising that same man from the dead. In other words, God is saying, here is your proof. If you want to know that, that, I, am, that I am real and that my plans are being worked out and that one day I'm going to call everyone to account, he says you can be sure of that because Jesus himself has risen from the dead. Today we have the word of God, God's revealed truth about him. But it's not only about him, it's about us, it's about this world, and it's about God's salvation. And God says to us today, stop your unbelieving and believe. See, the resurrection of Jesus means that he is indeed alive today and is proof that he has conquered sin and death and that all who put their faith and trust in him, he will never let you go. His love will surround you. His grace will sustain you. His peace will comfort you. His joy will fill your heart. And the thing that Jesus comes to us since today and he says an invitation, he says, here I am, the risen and resurrected Jesus Christ. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with your life? Will you trust me with all your doubts, with all your fears, with all your struggles? Will you trust me? Because ultimately, it is Jesus alone who can help us to overcome all those things and to know what real life is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word to us today. Help it not just to be words that we hear, to be knowledge that we kind of just, you know, push back there in the mind and, and you know, sort of pull out from time to time but help the truth that we have learned today be truly applied to our lives. That if we say with, the, with, with Thomas, my Lord and my God, may it be because we truly believe that and, that, and because we truly believe that, that has so impacted our lives that, that we are willing to love you and serve you with everything we have no matter what. Well, Jesus... You rose from the dead victorious over sin, over death. But your resurrection also means that today you are alive, that you are alive to help us in our lives, that you are alive to point us to the truth, that you are alive to point us to the fact that, that, that one day, one day you will hold all people to account and that all who have not accepted you as their saviour, all who have not confessed and repented of their sin and have fallen in submission to you, all of those people will one day regret that, Lord. And they will go to a place outside of your presence where the Bible, as we've already heard, says will be a place of unending suffering and torment. But Lord Jesus, you said that does not need to be the case. You have said, here I am. I am indeed God in the flesh, the God who is alive. Put your trust and your hope in me and know what true life is really all about. May we do that today, Lord Jesus, and may we walk with you in surrender and submission, but also in hope and joy every single day of our lives. Help us to do that in your name. Amen.